A father watches through a kitchen window as his small son attempts to lift a large stone out of his sandbox. The boy just couldn't seem to get enough leverage to lift the rock over the side. And finally, in pure frustration, he gave up, sat on the edge of the sandbox, and put his head in his hands. So the dad went out to see him and asked, What's wrong, son? Can't you lift the rock out? No, the boy said, I can't do it. So the father responded, Have you used all of the strength that is available to you? Yes, I have, the boy replied. No, you haven't, his father said. You haven't asked me to help you. Well, are you a person who's in the habit of trying to solve all of your own problems in life on your own? Or are you a person who looks to God first? After all, the Bible teaches us that God is a father. And turning to him is what the scriptures encourage us to do. In fact, the Bible teaches us that seeking God's blessing, seeking his approval and his guidance is the most powerful force possible in our lives. And that makes sense. Because what does every child growing up want? They want their father's approval. Daddy, daddy, watch! as they're going to do something, and they want your attention. Well, I don't know if you realize this or not, but deep down inside, we desire our Heavenly Father's blessing. That means our Heavenly Father's approval. And when God asked for our allegiance in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verses 14 through 18, He said in response to our choosing Him that I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, with that in mind today, do you know what the most important thing about you is? Do you know what the most important thing about me is? It's not where we're from. It's not whatever level of education we may have a, a, a reached in life. It's not about what other people think of us. It's not even about what we think of ourselves. It's not what kind of family we come from. It's not about the gifts or the abilities we may have. It isn't even about what we've had to overcome in our lives to reach the point we're at right now. And it's, and it's certainly not about what we've had accomplished or have not accomplished. And it's not about what we've won or what we've lost in life. It's not about our looks or our intelligence our friends, or even our influence that we have in this world. Dan DeHaan says, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which I'll tell you is one of my top five books ever read, says it this, says it this way. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Colossians 1.16 teaches that all things were made by him and for him. And that, of course, is referencing uh, Jesus as being creator uh, and in that particular context. But other passages in the Bible point out very clearly that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were also active in the creation of the world and of the universe. As Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that Hebrew word for God there is Elohim, referring to one God, but it has a plural ending. 
And we know from looking at the rest of the Bible that that's referring to our triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And for our discussion today, we were made by God. He is the source of our origin. We did not create ourselves. And we are not some kind of cosmic accident. We are highly valued. We are highly prized. And the second thing we notice from Colossians 1.16 here is we were made for God. In other words, we were made to be in a relationship with God. God our Father. Since we were made for God, our hearts long for God. Now listen to it, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28, how this passage describes this particular longing. And the Apostle Paul here is speaking in Athens. He's speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to Gentile people. But here's what it says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now this nuance here in verse 27 where it's talking about reaching out, it actually has a connotation of groping. It's like we're reaching out. We're trying to get a hold of God. See, we innately know that there's something greater out there than ourselves, something more powerful, something that's bigger, something that's more important in life than we are. And the fact that we were made by and for God is why we are constantly being drawn toward Him. But the question today is, who are we looking for? Who are we looking for when we're reaching out and trying to grab God? Okay, Acts 17, 27 says, He is not far from any one of us. We're reaching for God, but He's not very far away. A.W. Tozer's belief was this, that we tend by a secret yearning of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. What we're seeking is what we have up there in our mind as an image of God. In other words, toward our concept of who we think God is. Some of us may have a faulty, harmful, inaccurate image of God in mind, while others of us may have a good image of God in our minds. Our concept of God could have come from a lot of places. It may have come from our parents or our religious experiences we've had over the years. It might have come from the culture or our peers or teachers or professors that we've studied under or maybe even from our particular professions and all of the extra training we have that goes in, in, along with that. Perhaps your church growing up formed your image of God or you maybe have just had it formed by your life experiences. Do you know there are a lot of atheists in this world who when they were younger were not atheists? but they had someone very significant in their life who was dying. And so they may or may not have believed in God or known much about God, 
but they prayed and cried out to God for God to save or deliver this particular person. And when their prayers weren't answered to their liking, they came to the conclusion in bitterness and anger that there must not be a God. God must not exist because their loved one died. And so they became atheists. Such experiences have shaped all of us. Has a painful or uh, confusing time formed your image of God? Have your parents, or especially a father who didn't own up to his responsibilities, influenced your concept of God? Has rejection or peers or doubts or fears or politics or history shaped your view of God? Have you ever done a deep dive in your life to research where you came up with the views of God that you particularly have? Please know that God is constantly in the process of revealing Himself through His Word, through creation, through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, through the influence of godly people that He's placed in our lives, through His church. God is constantly showing to us who He is. Listen to Romans 1, 19 and 20. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, one thing you need to know, God understands that the stakes are high, which is why God is such a self-revelatory God, because He knows we could spend our entire lives uh, living with a flawed view of God. And the result could be spending our lives running from God, or hiding from God, or disappointed with God, or angry at God, or feeling that we're rejected by God. So with that in mind, how do we get to the point of having a right image, a right perspective of God in our minds? Well, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets as at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So it's telling us here that Jesus is the exact representation of God. You want to know God the Father? Take a look at Jesus. But that isn't meaning that God is between five foot four inch and five foot eight inches tall, that he was a Jewish man with long dark hair and a beautiful tan and a beard, with sandals and holding a lamb under one arm uh, while wearing a white outer garment that was very popular 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. That isn't what this text is saying. No, look at the heart of Christ. Look at the mind of Christ, the attitudes of Christ, the way Jesus lived, how Jesus loved, how he treated people, how he, you know, how he valued the world and how he was just and merciful and kind and truthful. And you go on and on and you get a picture of God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. 
Do you see God as your loving heavenly Father? Do you desire your heavenly Father's blessing in your life? See, knowing God as our heavenly Father is powerful. It is that life changing. Now, on one side of the coin, there are people who have had very good fathers. Fathers who passed on to them blessings of approval, blessings of love, of, of, of attention and good values, and tremendous support. But sadly, on the other side of that coin, we have people who have never known the full blessing of their earthly fathers because their earthly fathers were distant or they were rude or they were unkind or uncaring or inattentive or uninvolved in their lives. And for some, the sense that their father cared about more other things in life, more than they ever cared about them as a child, that's really heartbreaking and troubling to grow up with. Many have never heard from their earthly father that son or daughter, I am proud of you. I love you. Listen to what Dr. Peggy Drexler writes in regards to some research she's done on uh, adult women. And here's what she says. In my research into the lives of some 75 high-achieving, clearly independent women, I knew that I would find powerful connection between them and the first men in their lives. When surpri what surprised me was how deep and surprisingly traditional the bond is, how powerful it remains throughout their lives, and how resilient it can be, even when a father has caused it grievous harm. No matter how successful these women's careers were, how happy their marriages or how fulfilling their lives, women told me that their happiness passed through a filter of their father's reactions. Many told me that they tried to remove the filter and, much to their surprise, failed. We know that fathers play a key role in the development and the choices of their daughters. But even for women whose fathers have been neglectful or abusive, I found a hunger for approval. Sons as well as daughters also hunger for approval. Dr. Frank Pittman in his book, Man Enough, says, Life for most boys and for many grown men is a frustrating search for a lost, the lost father, who has not yet offered them protection or provision, nurturing, modeling, or especially anointment. And by the way, that phrase anointment, it means chosen. It means blessed. It means approved. And sons and daughters are all desperate for a father's approval. But unfortunately, it's not always there. Without it, people can feel abandoned. They can feel disowned, ignored, isolated, and judged. And from an earthly perspective, people's sense of peace, their sense of contentment, and even happiness in life passes through the filter of their own father's reaction. And when a father's approval is not there, people grow up feeling forsaken. And often they have a jaded view of God, especially of God as Father. Now the Bible teaches us that no matter where things are with your own earthly father, that we have a perfect Father in heaven who loves us and desires to pour His approval and blessings uh, into our lives and upon us. Psalm 27 verse 10 says this, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord 
will receive me. The last line means here that the Lord will take care of me no matter what. Even if the people best positioned to care for me do not care for me like they should, God will take care of me. Now, please understand that rejection is part of life. It's not fun. Nobody likes to be rejected or experience rejection, but we all experience it in life at some level. Crime novelist John Creasy uh, received an unbroken succession of 743 rejection slips. He now has 60 million books published. At his first audition, Fred Astaire was described as balding, skinny, and can dance a little. Beethoven's instructor described his first attempts at composing as hopeless. Hopeless. Albert Einstein's parents thought he was a little below average. Professor Erasmus Wilson of Oxford University declared, I think I might say without contradiction that when the Paris exhibition closes, closes, electric light will close with it and be heard of no more. Well, that kind of sounds ridiculous to us 123 years later when we have these beautiful LED lights that brighten this room up so nice for us and where electricity and power run so much of our, our economy and, and our world right now. And by the way, the United States of America right now has a DC-powered spaceship that's landed on Mars. And as we speak this morning, a battery-powered helicopter is on Mars. A Martian helicopter from that spaceship is flying all over Mars recording information and data for us right now as we are speaking this morning. And I know all that firsthand because I got a brother-in-law who's an aerospace engineer for NASA who's as giddy as you can be in life right now because it's, he's worked for years and years and years on a manned space flight to Mars and these are some of the initial steps that they're looking at right now and he's so fascinated that he's burning up all my minutes on my texting for my phone, sending me all these videos and all this stuff because he's so excited about what's happening. Rejection is part and parcel of life. Seventy plus years ago at a Billy Graham crusade, a missionary's daughter who had grown up on the mission field in China fought back the urge to run out of the meeting because she thought the preaching was so appalling. And her name was Ruth. By the way, a couple of years later she ended up marrying that preacher, Billy Graham. Rejection happens. It's part of life. And it hurts. But no rejection is quite like being rejected by your parents. David is the one who composed Psalm 27. And he understood his father's rejection. Do you remember when David was anointed to be the next king of Israel and the prophet Samuel had come to uh, his father Jesse to tell him in 1 Samuel 16 that one of his boys was going to be the next king, one of your sons is going to be the new king, the next king of Israel. And so what does Jesse the father do? He takes his six oldest boys and he starts from the oldest and the most mature and the most physically, you know, astute. And he parades every one of them right before Samuel. And Samuel has to give him the bad news. Isn't any of these boys. And Jesse then didn't knowingly volunteer 
that he had one more son. He had a little guy that was out there tending the sheep. He didn't say a word about David until the prophet Samuel asked him, do you have any more sons? That's when he finally fessed up that, yeah, David's out in the field. And even the prophet Samuel learned a valuable lesson there because in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? He looks at the heart. And David understood a thing or two about parental rejection. And he said, even if my parents both reject me, God will receive me. This phrase means that he will take care of me. Even if the closest people in your life fail you, God will take care of you. Even if your earthly parents forsake you, God never will. That's why Hebrews 13, 5 says, uh, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You know, no one who knows God as Father will be forsaken. No one will be left behind. No one will be orphaned. No one will be unwanted or betrayed or experiencing only conditional love. No, here's what Jesus said about this subject in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. For I and the Father are one. And here's what the Apostle Paul said about this very same subject. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised in life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37 says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we may experience rejection here on earth, but praise God, we are accepted in heaven. And never forget that. We are precious to our heavenly Father. We have His approval. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, our perfect Father, as we're talking about in this sermon series today and these next five weeks, we thank you, God, for... Uh, reminding us of your love for us, of your approval. And yes, God, there are many times that we have people let us down in this world, maybe even those closest to us. Our very own parents may have let us down. But God, you have proven yourself faithful time and time and time again in our lives. Your love toward us, God, is not conditioned. It's unconditional. 
And so, Lord, as we continue on in our journey, I pray that our hearts would be strengthened as we realize how much, God, you truly love each one of us. And thank you, God, so much today for your approval. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.